Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When we have a toxic relationship in our life, when we've lived in toxic circumstances, when we respond in toxic ways to life, it can lead us to make choices that are not always in our own best interest. My guest today is Jennifer Manili. She is going to talk about what her story produced and how she became a phoenix and rose from the ashes of that story to be helpful to other people. Stay tuned. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, co-worker causing you to second-guess yourself? That's crazy-making. I'm Dr. Roberta Shader, and I'm here to help you save your sanity. Let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. You know, I say that every single episode, it's because it's true. I'm glad you're returning to listen to Save Your Sanity. And if you're new, I'm so glad you found us. I give you every opportunity to learn different things that will allow you to validate your experience of having been raised by or lived with or left a hijackal, a relentlessly difficult, toxic person. And today my guest is Jennifer Manili. She is going to talk to you about what happened that caused her to be on the trajectory of her life she's found today and what she had to go to to find that one. So welcome to the program, Jennifer. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm glad that you're here too. I heard your story and I thought, mm. oh, people really <laughs> need to hear this. So let me tell you all a little bit about Jennifer, and then we will go in and learn about her story. She's the founder of Manili Consulting, a coaching firm with families who have loved one in addiction or trauma-related substance abuse. So that should perk you up right now. If you have anybody in your family or you yourself have been through that, she has gold for you. So quickly tell everybody to listen in. She works with the families to help them develop strategies and coach them on setting effective, supportive, and loving boundaries, which sometimes isn't so easy. We have to learn to do that. And why do we want those boundaries? So that loved ones can get the help they need and families don't go down with them. And that happens. Families collapse around addictions. Families collapse around the people that need the support. And she's also the best-selling author of Dear Parents, Strategies to Help Your Loved One Through Addiction. And she has a gift for you. So listen up for that one. That's going to be great. So Jen, tell us your story so that people can truly relate. It's It's been a wild journey. And sometimes like when someone tells me to to go into my story, it's so hard to believe the person that I was. And and part of my story was I did have trauma when I was younger that really gave me a lot of stories in my head about the belief systems of why I would behave the way that I did. And I didn't know how to cope with the pain that I was in. So over time, I started experimenting with 
drugs and things started getting really bad. I met a very toxic person and he showed me a lot about drugs that I didn't know before and doing drugs in ways that I didn't ever imagine myself doing. Um, I was shooting heroin. I was shooting cocaine. I almost died because of all of that. And I, you know, we were robbing people, people were robbing us. And here's the interesting thing is a lot of times people have this perception of what the upbringing must be for someone to do that. And I actually grew up in a really nice home. Like I went to private school, you know, I had all the luxuries. My mom was a a very high executive, you know, banker in, in the world. You could never imagine looking at my life that that's the way that it would go, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't discriminate. So (laughs) no, well, let's just take it piece by piece here because you brought up a couple of really important points. Mm -hmm. First of all, not, I don't love the story, but I'm attracted to the story that says, oh, someone will take you under their wing and teach you how Mm -hmm. to do drugs better, more and all. And I think it's really important because when you've had toxicity in your life and you're looking for relief, you'll look in all the wrong places often. Mm -hmm. And there's, there are people, hijackals out there just waiting to get you and say, oh, here, let me help you ruin your life a little further so that I have some power over you. Here, I'll give you an even better way to numb your pain. Let me be your instructor. And yet they are preying on you too. Yes. Because they can be the very ones who are either the dealer or the hustler for the dealer. And now you're getting into more expensive drugs, more need for them frequently. And um, and yet they're feeling like your savior. They're feeling like the safe person. And and yet they're ruining you, right? It was it was a it was a, a toxic relationship. And and this is. You know, I always remind people that misery loves company. So I very much played a big part in my life and the way that it looked because I was attracting certain people in my life. And that included, you know, my, uh, he's my ex-husband now, but it included my ex-husband where I I was looking for something and I found it in all the wrong places. And and it turns (laughs) out he was an enabler. Right. Right. And and so he was saying, oh, here, let me have power over you. But it looked like, let me take care of you. Yes. And and actually, you know, I met him because I, I did go to rehab. And then I got out and I met him. And the rehab at that time, the drugs were bad. It was like I, I was I was definitely in the right place. Um, but, you know, I met him under the pretenses of of being in recovery And I really believed because I had like two months clean and he had six months that he was going to take care of me. I was 22. (laughs) I was very young and dumb at the time. And I really did believe that he was going to take care of me. And, you know, and I learned over time that the only person that can really take care of you is you (laughs) and to heal whatever is causing me to be attracted to people like that. Well. You're talking about a hijackal nature. I mean, he misery loves company, as you said, but also that there was power over you yeah. because in the love bombing phase of being with a hijackal, it's, 
oh, you know, I love you so much. Let me take care of you. Let me do this for you. Let me give you all that you've ever wanted in life. They almost can feel the holes in your nature and fill them for you. And then you feel like, oh, somebody has my back. Somebody is there. And you gravitate toward them. And yet mm -hmm. it's all a setup. It's yeah. all a setup to have power over you. Yeah. And who knows if he was telling you the truth about being clean for six months. He wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Big surprise. Found out, found out later, many uh, years, I think we were um, just right about to get married when he had told me. This was like a couple of years later, so it didn't seem important at the time. Um, you know, but of course I look back on everything and I'm like, <laughs> the important thing is, is I'm not there anymore. <laughs> that is the very important thing. Congratulations on that. But to help people who may be attracted to the story, maybe recognizing themselves, mm -hmm. maybe having their experience validated, I just want to go back to the very beginning. Mm -hmm. What was it? Can you pinpoint what happened that made you say, you know, I've had this privileged upbringing. I know what the patterns are. I know what I'm supposed to do. And why were you attracted over there? What what began to pull you? Do you know where the where the weakness was or the the need for something different was? Could you identify that? I really felt my whole life like I felt odd and disconnected. Like I couldn't really ever connect with people. I was severely introverted. And when I found when I started using substances and of course it started socially as, you know, high school, I started finding that I was connecting to people, not in a healthy way, but there was a connection. There was a need being fulfilled and it, it, that's kind of what started. And then I started as I got deeper into drugs and this is part of you know my own story and I don't think this is right but I was able to help other people find the same kinds of connections in an unhealthy way but but still I felt because I could help them the same way the drugs helped me I was providing a service and I was being helpful even though I wasn't so maybe to a certain extent I was the jackal myself at times um, well I would ask this question, and maybe you would ask it of yourself. You were looking for a little bit of power in your life. Yes. And yes. being able to help somebody, no matter how misguided that help may be in the grand picture, it gives you a little sense of power in your life. It it did. It did. It, it made me feel like I, ha I was in control. It made me feel... And this wasn't anything in my mind. I wasn't going, oh, I'm manipulating people. I'm doing anything bad. I was actually really believing that I was being supportive and helpful and teaching them the do's and don'ts of drugs, even though I was not doing all the right things. It's like, oh, no, you can't do it this way because that's harmful. Do it this way. <laughs> and yeah, so it was an interesting dynamic for sure. Well, it is. It's fascinating. I just want to take it apart. We want to get to all the good stuff, but I think mm -hmm. it's very important for people to hear that, uh, you know, it is that we're looking for something. We're either mm -hmm. looking to make pain go away or we're looking for something that's missing. And that will often be the triggers that will set us into looking for 
uh, that relief will set us into the wrong places, the wrong people, the wrong direction. But even within that, we can feel like I can have some power here. I may not be a drug dealer, but I can say, oh, don't make this mistake. I've made it before. And you become a bit of a leader. And that validates a person who needs validation. And, you know, now, of course, you look back on it and you say, how misguided was that? But it was just a very basic need. Something went a bit sideways in all that privileged upbringing that Mm -hmm. said, I need more than I'm getting on a level that's very, very personal to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I found it was so much easier for me to connect even in the most vulnerable. And I don't, you know, I don't know, um, like it was easier to physically connect with people as well. And that was something that like I had a really hard time with. And so like, and that's a big part of, of my story is, is how I treated myself you know, physically as, as well. And the relationships that are created out of that and what I was really looking for from, from that aspect of it too, and how much easier it was inhibitions aside (laughs) to get what I thought that I needed and create unhealthy relationships for a night or two. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I, I'm, I'm reading between the lines here. So let me clarify. I mean, you get closer to people, people have already, you know, a I would imagine, because I haven't been in that world. I've certainly helped a lot of people out of it, but I haven't been in that world. I would imagine that you've already overcome the threshold of what people think of me because Mm -hmm. I've already decided to use. So now that threshold is gone. And now I belong to the group of people who use. So I'm not with a bunch of people who have judgments or may look sideways at me or any of that. I'm now, oh, okay, I have a tribe. I belong to these people. And so within that, there's a culture, and that's what I hear you describing. Like yes. You became somebody who could facilitate them doing it maybe in a healthier way or overcome some pitfalls or mm-hmm. uh, stay <clears throat> uh, without um, harming themselves in ways that did not involve taking away their pain, creating more right. pain. But then we look at the subculture of all that. Well, now we are none of us functioning in this group, this tribe of people who use, none of them are functioning at optimal brain level. So the ability to be logical falls underneath that subculture of I've given up the logic of it doesn't make sense to use drugs. It's not a good idea. And now I'm under the rubric of this is a good idea. And now um, how do we do it better? How do we do it more? Where do we find the good stuff? Um, How can we congregate? Yes, we're all in this. And there's a tribal mentality that we have each other's back because we're all in the same situation, right? It is so, and it's such a toxic way, but it's so true. Like I remember we would idolize drug dealers in that culture because in that culture, you wanted the drug dealers to like you. You wanted to be their number one. You wanted to be their pick for the person that when you call them. So we idolized our drug dealers. We, uh, people that could get us certain substances, we bent head over heels to accommodate them for whatever it was because we knew that we were going to get treated better in the long run um, for that. And there definitely is a very specific language and culture that goes along 
with that particular community that isn't always very clear up to people on the outside of what is going on, you know, and that's one of the things that I help people get their heads wrapped around when I'm working with them is you kind of need to understand the language and the culture because that's where they are living right now. (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, you have to know the neighborhood of somebody who's got a structure, you know, how do they get what they get? What's their grocery store? Where do they get their needs met? What are they thinking? How are they hooking up? What are the relationships based on? There's a whole lot of power. There's a whole lot of familiarity. Um, Then we have the side hustles of maybe, you know, you get pimped out. Out, maybe something happens. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get trafficked. I mean, there are so many pieces. So many. So mm-hmm. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the dark right. side, but I think we have given people an idea of this could be happening to your child. It could be happening to your your sibling. Um, it, it could be happening to someone that you love and care about. Hopefully, first of all, you love and care about yourself enough to not be in that culture any longer, which you've done. <laughs> I've done. <laughs> but then to be able to to understand at these very broad and deep levels simultaneously, you know, that here's what's going on. It's not about being a bad person. It mm-hmm. is about entering into a place where you're getting some needs met and some needs um, suppressed. And if you understand that, then we can get away from the judgment of, oh, well, they're using drugs. Yeah. Right. And I'm not talking about recreational drugs in the sense of people who occasionally smoke marijuana, although I do believe still that that's a gateway. But at any rate, you know, it bothers me when somebody says, well, I've got enough wine and weed for the weekend and I'm supposed to go, yay. Um, Well, I don't. Yeah, I I don't. I don't either. (laughs) Um, I had someone say that to me the other day, like, okay, we're going into this um, maybe isolation piece. Well, I got to make sure I have enough wine and weed. And I was like, what? That's your consideration? But anyway, (laughs) um, there is this culture and and you have come from it Mm -hmm. and how did you make the step to get away? It, it was definitely a journey. Uh, what I'll say to sum it up pretty quick is, you know, my, my mom got help, help for herself that provided me an opportunity to start kind of waking up because she started setting her boundaries. She started treating me differently. Um, she started letting me go and allowing me my choices. And through those choices, that's when I started making the decision that I didn't want to live that life anymore, that Mm. it was either death or do something about it. And I'm so grateful for me because not everybody makes this decision, but I'm so grateful that I chose life and that I chose to do whatever I needed to do in order to not continue down that road because that it that was the road it was death very quickly because I was not okay like I was gonna die soon so well I'm, I'm just, so glad that didn't yeah. happen <laughs> yeah so at some point through you know her not being there anymore I was like I really got to figure this out your and enabler went away my enabler my biggest enabler the one that I thought would always be there and bail me out and maybe subconsciously I was even slightly punishing her and all of a sudden she's like I'm not going to accept your punishment anymore you're going to have to figure this out you know you can be mad at me 
but you're just still going to have to figure this out. And if props yeah. to mom, props but it, to took, mom. <laughs> it took her three years of deep self-awareness training to get there. And it wasn't even intentional. It just happened. So now I, you know, that's kind of where I started doing what I do is I made it a whole lot more intentional so that people could have the same kinds of things happening for them as well. How long did it take for you to get away from that culture and stay away from it forever? When I made the decision to get really, I guess, clean, I think there was a moment when I was about six months into my recovery where I was faced with a point. Because at that point, up until I had about six months, I still wasn't really sure if I could do it. And when I was faced with that fork in the road, all of a sudden I was like, I think I think I want to do this whole thing where I don't want to go back there because that's I, 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 whatever I have to do to not go back there, I, I'm not doing it, you know? And that was when I was sure but that was six months in of not using drugs, of being like in recovery. Yeah, but, but we have to remember <laughs> um, <clears throat> that when you had all this stuff in your system, yeah. it has a half-life. It, it, it does. It changes your mind. It changes your rationality. It changes your perception of things. And all those things have to clean up. It's not just that I'm not ingesting drugs anymore. <laughs> It's that all oh, my body, my mind, yeah. my spirit, my soul all have to realign. Yeah. So I'm not surprised to hear that it took six months to make a final decision because, you know, there's a pull to the old culture that I know, and this is hard. And will people like me? And if I if I don't have that, will I be able to be socially engaging? Mm -hmm. And will I find a tribe again? Will all of these things happen? And they're big, big questions. Big questions. So <laughs> I, it's so important for everyone who loves someone who has an addiction issue at the moment to be able to say, this is not a snap out of it thing. No. This is a journey. It's a, and it's a long journey. It's a long journey. And your mom's setting up boundaries like, Okay, if this is what you want to do, Jen, that's great, but you're not going to do it around me. You're not going to have my support. You're not going to come by when you're hungry. You're not going to do this, that, and so. And all those boundaries started cutting off avenues to mm -hmm. being able to stay in that community, I'm sure. So let's leap out of that story, and thank sure. you so much for sharing it. What should someone do? What What would be your first advice if you have a child or a partner or a sibling, someone you love, who you would like to reach? Here's the thing is I, I totally believe that we're not inherently taught how to deal with this. Therefore, to lay down kind of what I would say, and not in a negative way, but to lay down the ego, ego realize there's like no shame, no guilt, just go get help. Whoever it's from, find someone that can understand to help you. And, and, and that is like the number one thing that I always recommend is don't try to do this by yourself because we don't know how to deal with that. I still get help 
for a lot of things because if I knew all the answers, <laughs> I would not be on this planet, right? So, so I, I think that's really important because people can really do unintentional more damage by creating even more patterns of toxic relationships mm -hmm. in it and not even realizing it and coming from a very loving and caring place but toxic nonetheless <laughs> um well many so, people yeah. don't know their patterns so they're operating and, from a you know i say that many people who are raised in hijackal families toxic difficult families they don't realize that the installation of their operating system came with malware and viruses mm -hmm. yeah and so they're unaware that's just their operating system as far as they know. And sometimes it takes some very unsettling, very nasty things to happen to them before they realize that, oh, you know, I was kind of set up for that. I didn't know to think about that. I was enabled to go in particular directions. You know, <clears throat> these are very important things to think about. And when we can remove the blame and the shame, the gift that we give somebody by stopping harping on what you shouldn't do and open a vista of what you could do is quite an important shift, isn't it? A hundred percent. I spend um, that, if I could say the one thing, and I think it's very personal for everyone. And that's why I think people should get help. And I don't ever tell anyone what boundaries they should set, but we will break through and talk about patterns because my mom started breaking patterns. When she started breaking patterns, I started waking up, you know? And so the patterns is it. And it doesn't mean the patterns are good, bad, indifferent, whatever. It's just the pattern. And when those shift, Neuro neurologically, sorry, I didn't say that right, but things start changing in the brain. And that's really what woke me up. I was able to, that's the snap out of it, right? She broke patterns. I snapped out of it. Oh, I got to do something different. Yeah. It opened your choices again too. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, there is something else. So yeah. that sounds good to me. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll go in that direction and explore, which is great. Now I'm going to ask you the big mm -hmm. question oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because this is a topic that people mm -hmm. want to debate all the time and they go okay. from one side to the other, back and forth. Is addiction a disease or a choice in your opinion? I love this question. It's so full of, uh, we could debate all day long. Here's Here's the, here's where I stand on this. And this is in my personal opinion. I feel like there's very much a mental health component when it comes to addiction. No, oh, huge. Now, huge. <laughs> but that being said, I have to decide if I am going to choose to do what I need to do to take care of my mental health. I'm not going to deny that I have something that needs to be taken care of. And I take care of my mental health on a regular basis because I do what I need to do. So there is the choice in the addiction is how am I going to handle it for someone to sit back uh, and this may be controversy, but I remember being in the midst of everything and so far gone into the drugs, but I also remember choosing to use that day. 
I could have made a different decision on any of those days. And I remember making those conscious decisions. When I lied, I consciously lied. When I manipulated, I consciously manipulated. When I used, I consciously used. It didn't mean that I didn't have something going on and that sometimes like I, I have to work a little extra harder than maybe Joe Schmo down the street that doesn't have the same mental health problems that, that I do, but I am healthy because I chose to take care of myself. That's where I feel like the choice comes in. So I think it's both. <laughs> well, I agree with you. And, <laughs> and so I'm happy to hear you say that because I don't think we can slack it off and just say, oh, it's a disease. They can't help it. It's a disease. They can't help it. They Your can. body body may have an affinity, mm -hmm. um, but you know, you may have an affinity for chocolate, you may have an affinity for sugar, and it may destroy your ability to metabolize food, and you may become severely diabetic. Are you going to choose to eat sugar? I mean, yeah, any thinking <laughs> person can get their head from A to B if they want to, and recognize that, okay, my body may really want sugar, and I really don't want to be a diabetic, so what am I going to do? Yeah. And I may feel like I don't know how to do it, but that's where there's help and support available. Yes. So I think, yes, we're probably going to get a bunch of comments. Um, <laughs> but that's okay, because I think that we, we're not saying it's your fault. No. We are not in blame and shame and, and all of that. We're just simply saying... Any day, you can wake up and choose differently. And it's not easy. We're it's not, not suggesting it's easy. But you can say, I want this life rather than that life. Yeah. And this may be a really rough road, but this one's killing me. So I'm going to go on the rough road, but mm -hmm. I'm worth it. But I have to come to that day when you say I'm worth it. That's exactly right. And, you know, I've been worth it. And even now it's like, I still continue on that healing journey because it's a journey and it hasn't been easy, but it was a hell of a lot better than where I was. And I'm a hell of a lot better person for it. And you're probably alive because you made that decision. Oh, I know I'm alive. Like I, I was not going to live for very much longer. Well, what do you think goes on then if, I mean, people love that river in Egypt, you know, denial. Um, and you've got things happening in the family and you think, oh, well, yeah, but they're going through a difficult time. I'm not going to say anything. Um, and, oh, they've slipped a little further. Gee, I haven't seen them for a couple of weeks. What's going on? Oh, not my business. Back, 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 back. Pretty soon it's like, Oh, yeah, them. <laughs> Just ignoring it all together. Yeah. And so this is not what love looks like. Mm -mm. What love looks like is what your mom did. So I want to really make this distinction for people. Love looks like saying, I recognize there's an issue. I care about this person. I know what's healthy. And what's healthy is for me to have strong boundaries so that I'm not condoning and enabling their behavior. I will continue to love them but I love them through the boundaries. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. And anything else is just, I have found when I am in denial myself, cause I still go there. <laughs> it's mostly because of a lack of trusting myself. 
it's a lack of really knowing how to handle things or just not really wanting to handle it at all. But mostly it comes down to not trusting myself, not trusting myself to deal with the outcomes. And so like, that's something that I strongly encourage people is start learning how to trust themselves well enough to sometimes you can't do anything about it, but at least you can be aware. So you know how to behave. Mm -hmm. That is a big journey. Yes. A big journey. <laughs> yes. yes, it is. <laughs> it's a short sentence and a really big journey. It is. Uh, yeah. Um, so many things to talk about, Jen, but, you know, I want to bring us back to the beginning when you sure. said, you know, I had had toxic relationships and there were mitigating mm -hmm. factors in my in my decision to, to numb out or to find a tribe that was accepting and to feel better and then to become uh, the wise instructor in the dysfunctional field to meet my validation needs. So, you know, for people who are understanding that maybe they've, they're using a little too much, maybe they don't want to sit up and recognize that that bottle of wine that started as a glass of wine and has now become a bottle of wine mm. is is not probably the best choice for every evening um that maybe i started with having occasionally smoking weed and now i'm smoking weed when i wake up in the morning to face the day to watch to watch the escalation of the um, numbing out the escalation of the shift into another thought pattern that says, this is okay, this is okay. And to notice that those same people have a Jiminy Cricket on their shoulder for quite a while that's going, what are you doing? And, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and there's, I can do what I want. You know, it's kind of like um, during the coronavirus thing in the beginning, when we heard on TV those kids being interviewed in Florida. Look, I have a right. I've waited for spring break. I can do what I want. This is a rite of passage. I get to do anything. I heard those same things when I was working with high-risk teenagers. Mm -hmm. like, I have that right. I can drink if I want. I can have a gun if I want. I can do anything. I have that right. And yeah, you do. But who are you? Who are you? <laughs> that's it. You know, that's, that's just it is, is like, you know, we're faced with that, like, well, you can do those things, but should you do those things? And what does it mean when you do behave in that way for yourself? Like, you know, I have to question myself all the time. Uh, uh, it's going into that entitlement is, is like, just because I can, what does that say to me as a person, you know? And like, what, you know, what happens to us emotionally when we choose to do things legally, rightfully or whatever, but may not be in the best interest of other people either, you know, and, and it's like, we can really harm other people by our right. <laughs> and yes. And by our righteousness. Yeah. That's right. And that's what I look at is, is like, am I harming someone else? Not that I'm responsible for their emotions. I'm not responsible for how they take things, but am I harming and doing something that's going to put someone else in jeopardy for me to get a leg up? Or is there an equal exchange? <laughs> you know, Good there's got to be an equality. 
Mm-hmm. So, well, we could talk for a very long yeah, time. We could. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what I love to do is to have guests back in about six months so that we continue the mm-hmm. conversation. So we'll certainly do that. Um, my guest today is Jennifer Manili, and you can find her at Manili Consulting. I'm going to spell it for you, M-A-N-E-E-L-Y Consulting.com. And what she does, as I mentioned earlier, is her coaching firm. She coaches families who have loved ones in addiction or trauma-related substance abuse. And you can hear her journey I know how impactful it is to work with someone who has taken the journey themselves rather than just been on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean the sideline people can't help you, but there is great impact in someone who has walked the walk and changed the talk. And I appreciate that you are doing that, Jen. That's really great. And your gift for everybody is that you can actually have a copy of her ebook, and it's called Dear Parents Strategies to Help Your Loved One Through Addiction. And you will find in the show notes the link to go and get that free ebook. You'll get Jen's uh, URL, everything to connect with Jen is there. If you're going through this journey yourself or with someone else, and you'd like to feel empowered, you'd like to feel like you're doing the most and best you can, then I encourage you to connect with Jen. Thanks for being with me, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a great interview. I appreciate it. (laughs) So you've been listening to Save Your Sanity podcast. If you found value here, tell your friends, invite them to come along. Be sure to subscribe because that means that you're going to hear about every new episode that comes along. And also I make new offers to my subscribers. So go to SaveYourSanityPodcast.com and find me there. Now you know what I'm going to say, but I want to remind you every single time treat yourself well, take good care of yourself because you're precious and you matter. So I hope that you will do that in the best way possible until we meet again. Talk soon. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. Learn more about how to work with me via video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.